Those of the following program may contain adult themes, occasional nudity, and language that may offend some listeners. Thank God it's Welcome to the Parramatta Riverside Theatre for a special Sydney Writers' Festival edition of Thank God It's Friday. I'm Richard Glover and please welcome this week's gang. Tommy Dean, please come in. Gene Ketson. Colin Buchanan. Colin Buchanan's guitar. And with the music tonight, it's amazing. It's Alex Lloyd, ladies and gentlemen. But first, as always, here is the news from nowhere. Even though Sydney has four seasons, three of them perfectly pleasant, Sydney-siders ruin it all by refusing to believe that one of the seasons is called winter. <laughs> it's the season we're about to start next week. Heating, Sydney-siders say to themselves, we don't need heating. We live in Sydney. It's pretty much a tropical city. Essentially, it's South Singapore. <laughs> Take a stroll around a typical Sydney park during the months of winter. It's five degrees in the shade with a wind chill factor borrowed from Alaska. And half the blokes are in shorts. They might be wearing a footy jumper or maybe even a beanie on their head. But for the typical Sydney male, it's always summer below the waist. <laughs> the women, meanwhile, place heavy insulation over one part of their body while leaving other sections entirely exposed. It's as if a plumber was lagging their pipes and ran out of materials halfway through. <laughs> You're not a bit cold, you might inquire. Oh, no, they say, I'm boiling. We're in Sydney. What do visitors make of this eccentric refusal-to-face-facts behaviour? People arrive from Toronto or Outer Mongolia or Alaska and they say, oh, I've never been colder in my life. <laughs> Invite these visitors for dinner and they'll come in the door, take off their overcoat, gloves and furry hat and then three minutes later ask if they can put it all back again. They are too polite to make the inquiry, haven't you people heard of heating? Perhaps instead they'd prefer to eat in a restaurant. Pop outside this theatre and you'll be in Church Street, Parramatta. And there's a choice of large, comfortable restaurants, every one of them entirely empty, since all the patrons insist on eating at tables placed on the street outside, preferably in a howling gale. It's like an acclimatisation camp for Antarctic explorers out there. Perhaps you'd prefer a table inside the owner might suggest. Oh, come off it, mate, it's Sydney. We're boiling. <laughs> Adding to the problem is the way Sydney's buildings are constructed. There are tents which have better insulation. Whack up a bit of fibro, place a few galvo sheets on top, and any Sydney cider will call it home. We don't need to go to too much effort, has been the view. After all, the climate is so mild. 
Have you considered double glazing? The visitor from Toronto or Alaska might ask. Or, or some pink bats in the ceiling. Or even a, a draft excluder across the large gap below the front door through which I notice a blizzard is blowing. No, mate, will come the answer. It's Sydney. We're boiling. Meanwhile, over at Bondi or Manly or Coogee, the winter swimmers are at it, plunging themselves into the icy water, preferably before dawn. Unpleasantly warm, they declare, through chattering teeth as they haul their blue-tinged bodies from the icy water. Of course, all this will pass. Sydney will return to spring, summer and autumn and once more become the Goldilocks city, neither too hot nor too cold, but just right. All the same, in the meantime, would it kill you people to buy a radiator? <laughs> and that's the news from nowhere. Uh, we, have, we have Tommy, we have Colin. I, I noticed Jean's not here. Well, the part of Jean tonight will be played by this chair here that we've <laughs> got on the floor. Yeah. Uh, we've, uh, yes, well, yeah, I don't know. I think she stopped in to buy a radiator. <laughs> Probably the thing. Might be right. No. There was, uh, there was, uh... <laughs> they changed the clocks. They did. Yeah, you know, when they, you know, yeah, when they shifted was... the clocks back, and, and Jean's not famously known as a technophobe. <laughs> That's my theory. Hmm. Yeah. How long ago did we change the clocks back? Two this, months. Not yeah. long. Not long. About, it takes her about three. My theory is she just is praying for the big applause that will inevitably greet her when she arrives! Yay! It's Jean. No, this is called an entrance. This is. This, I'm so sorry. You don't need I heard to be sorry. the news from nowhere, though. It was really good. Oh, thanks, Jean. I'm pleased to have distracted you at the traffic lights. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I've, you know, I've been doing Thank Goddess Friday for what, um, maybe um, for 20 years, and I thought it started at six o'clock. <laughs> Which, if the clocks were correct, <laughs> yeah, is exactly when it starts. Yeah, what did I say? Exactly. Exactly. What did I say? She was actually an hour early. <laughs> yeah, I was looking forward to being in the green room, having a glass of wine. You know, going. I'm a bit peckish. I might have some of those curly sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to see Jean, uh, never before seen, Jean Kitson performing sober. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, anything could happen. <laughs> Very nice. Let's, uh, let's check you up with this week's uh, mostly literary news. One of the best novelists of our time died this week, Martin Amos, who was the son of one of the best English novelists of an earlier time, Kingsley Amos. If your dad, like Martin's dad, had been a writer, what various books would he have written with what titles and what life advice? Tommy Dean. Oh, there's so many. Um, he was a real, you know, a handyman. So I think a lot of his novels would have focused on, you know, DIY style things. But also he would want to talk about what his real passions were. So probably his breakthrough novel uh, would have been Washing Dishes with a Gun. <laughs> <laughs> All the various ways and what stains would best react to what gauge. <laughs> How that would go. And then later uh, he would have been very much into child rearing. Uh, so he would have wrote a parenthood book, uh, Raising Boys That Aren't Sissies. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, with a gun. 
would have been good. And then later in life, as he sort of focused on his real true passion, uh, which was sitting in his oversized lazy boy and watching television, uh, I think his, his, uh, his last novel uh, would have been, uh, You Can Have This Remote Control When You Pry It From My Cold Dead Finger. <laughs> 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 Gene, if, uh, if like Martin Amos, you had a, a dad who was a writer, what would have his uh, books been about? Oh, well, well, you know, my dad was, you know, a mechanic, and I've talked about him and DIY, but he, he was actually an author back in the day. He was an author, and um, he wrote many, many, many books, but most of them were R-rated, and they were sold in newsagents in brown paper bags and <laughs> uh, popular titles like... Blowing the gasket for fun and profit. Um, <laughs> you've stripped the nuts. Uh, when he when he wrote that, he had to go into hiding actually. And um, your O-ring is gone. That is a self-help book. <laughs> Jump starts at the drive-in. That's a manual. Um, four on the floor or column shift. A guide. Uh, and then there's um, Draining the Sump, which uh, we might nowadays call, you know, one of those wellness books. Yeah. <laughs> you could do with a rebort, you know, self-explanatory. He even had one racy novel that was banned for some time, and that was called I'll Have to Get the Parts In. <laughs> How to Fix Your Big End would be the other one, wouldn't yeah. it? Uh, Colin, what, would you, what, what books would your dad have written if he was an author like yeah, that? Kingsley Amos. I think the three of us don't really... Could, you could say we didn't really have arty dads then. I mean, your father obviously was an author of sorts. But, um, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, my dad was more a stuff man than a word man. And uh, I, I thought he could have written a book called Blazing Bacon and Incendiary Eggs. <laughs> Breakfasts I have burnt... Or how to fill a house with fat smoke. <laughs> it, it was so thick, that smoke, it would wake me from sleep, from slumber as a teenager. Uh, treasure, from, <laughs> tre treasure from trash, refuse repurposed. Whenever there was the, the clean-up, we'd drive very slowly around the... And, and you could, you, you know, decor items, furniture, just stuff in our workshop. You'd go... Hang on a minute. Yeah, hang on. That's an old television set, <laughs> not a bookcase. Um, my secret to quitting smoking for good, uh, the alternative title is Just Stop. Because <laughs> he did. One, he was a smoker, and then one day he stopped. Mm. Huh? Yep, yep. Zero. That's on, impressive. Zero cravings, zero nothing. It's just like, no, nope, that's a go on. Uh, how to emigrate from Ireland to Australia in 1970 with four kids and not much money. <laughs> it's very specific target market, but, you know, I know that. Uh, my biggest motoring mistake or the time I bought two Fiat 850s. Uh, even the Italians. Even the Italians wouldn't do that. Um, uh, men don't... That's the only reason he had Colin, spare parts. Uh, men, thank you, let me finish. Men don't hug, which is just about how men don't hug. Um, uh, get a ticket, which was his uh, careers manual. Just get a ticket. And 101, actually, I changed this, 1,001 ways to hide chocolate. 
That's cruel. Why, why is it uh, that both of your dads wrote so many books? So many. Like my dad just really focused on three. I just, my, I, just, I just don't understand. I just feel like your dads were just throwing stuff against the wall. No, no, well, your dad just three books, but it was like, have a gun with everything. Yeah, because he, as he would say, aimed small. <laughs> but in America, each one of his books was a bestseller, you see, because they That's right. do like the guns. Just a um, word of warning, Gene, uh, De- uh, Tommy Dean is in analytical mode, so there's going to be blood on the floor. Oh, what does that <laughs> even mean? Oh, what are no, you analysing everything we say? He's analysing, ladies and gentlemen, beware. Oh. None of you are safe. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try you on another question. Book titles are so easy to get wrong. How would some of the world's most famous books be changed if the author had got just one letter wrong in the title? I'll go first. How about The True History of the Kelly Gong, a novel about Ned Kelly and the way he made his metal suit out of an old dinner gong? I mean, it might have gone less well for Peter Carey. How, what other titles would have been... Can we tell you, like, one each? That would yes, be fun. one each. Okay. And then oh, and then keep going round and round. round and round for, like, Until, up to three let's ideas. Let's see who runs out of ideas first. Uh, okay. okay. Oh. Well, if I went first, I'd say, I, it's funny, that title that you just mentioned, Richard, because I had the true history of the Smelly Gang... A feel-good Australian story about a pungent group of Sydney dunny men. <laughs> mm. um, I had one. Is this is this being edited lately, or are we going live? It's live. Okay, I won't say that one then. <laughs> um, what do you reckon? Do you see, no. Well, that's what I, I have it, but I have the naughty version of that one. No, okay, right. Yeah. The naughty. You don't think that's naughty enough? Well, they're a similar frame. Do you do yours and I'll do mine. Um, Bridesmaids Revisited. (laughs) And that's about a bride who has a panic attack on a wedding night. So we're not doing tales. I'm not doing tales of two... Titties. No, everyone knows titties. I was doing... I don't think I could say it. Okay, don't say it. Well, I was going to say tale of two... No. Titties. You'd have to take... Stay with it, just stay with it. Okay. It'll be fine. Don't, don't listen to him. I've warned you about him tonight. Yeah, is I know. It, he's going to get me just, into trouble. Well, first off, this is a difficult destroyed. assignment, I think, in some ways. Yes, um, uh, just because there's so many books and yet only 26 letters. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so hard. And sometimes you just hear the word wrong. Uh, like we met the excellent uh, Geraldine Brooks uh, up in the green room, and I heard about her new book, which I thought she said was called Whores. And I thought, what? What? <laughs> What? what? No, She's subtlety. like such a nice woman. Yeah. Whores? That's your book? Whores? And she said, oh, no, it's horse. <laughs> and I went, oh. So then I changed the letter to house. House. And everything felt good again. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what's in the house. Whores. <laughs> your turn again, Colin. Uh, Ben-Hur, H-E-R, the story of a female slave who has an exciting horse race at the end of the book. <laughs> Yep. I had been her as well, too, about a lovely woman that takes the trash out. Every the man who would be Kong, it's about a man who um, is a gorilla gram man. <laughs> yep, next. Uh, this book is uh, one of uh, Dr. Seuss's classics, but I believe it's actually the real title in New Zealand to The Cut in the Hut. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, 
Okay, uh, Lord of the Springs, a unique mix of fantasy and trampolining. <laughs> I had Lord of the Pings, a story of the inventor of haptics. <laughs> oh, wow, that's far more technical. Yeah, yeah, a bit technical. Or Sorry. Lord of the Rungs, and that was the, about the inventor of ladders. <laughs> I had Ford of the Rungs about a car that drove in the wrong time. <laughs> uh, but then I liked a very, a very saucy, very saucy tale of just uh, wanton lust in the time of the Civil War. Bone with the wind. <laughs> <laughs> You're making uh, my tale of love. I know. I'm trying yeah. to make you feel comfortable about it. Yeah, yeah. Comment. Well, I'll get there in the end. Uh, I've got Blank Beauty, uh, the moving story of a black piece of A4 paper. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have, oh, Mull on the Floss. Mull on the Floss is, uh, that's about contemplations whilst cleaning your teeth. <laughs> Sorry, Tommy, we're back to you. Yeah, I'm sorry too. I don't know what he's going to say mm. next. Uh, Bridget Jones's dairy. <laughs> <laughs> Job done. Yeah. Uh, the Count of Monte Crispo about a uh, uh, an, an oh, it'd be a French snack food baron. Mm. <laughs> well, I had the Count of Monte Crisco, which is uh, a guy who's discovers vegetable solids in baking. But, <laughs> and I remembered that Crisco is not a product you really use in Australia, and so I scratched it off my list. <laughs> okay, one more each before oh, we go insane. Oh, well, Come on. Okay, well, we'll just do, I've got to do two in a row. A movable fist, the biography of a boxer, <laughs> and nice. fire and loafing in Las Vegas, a bread-making cookbook. Oh, and Alice through the cooking class, a woman's solo journey to find something she liked cooking. <laughs> Nice. You did th- last orders. Oh, sorry, an excellent story about a young rich man who discovers his passion is in working in chimneys. It's the Great Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, the Hunger Names, a book about starving, famished, and ravenous, and Sons and Glovers, the shocking untold story of an ABC Drive presenter. <laughs> oh my! God. And on that note, Richard we are live from Parramatta Riverside Theatre, Sydney Writers Festival edition of Thank God It's Friday. Alex Lloyd is going to play for us live in a moment. We have Tommy Dean, Jen Kitson, Colin Buchanan and our lovely audience. Thank you for coming. Now, in America, in places like Florida, they're busy banning books, even including uh, news this week, a, a children's book written by the renowned Aussie author Mem Fox. How can you ban a book by Mem Fox? It's been called pornography because it's got this very discreet picture of a witch having a bath. Now, considering the horrific stories we read or had read to us as kids from Little Red Riding Hood to, to Lord of the Flies, when do you think the censors should have stepped in during your own childhood? Colin Buchanan. Ah, uh, well... Ah, the guitar. When I was a kid, we sang nursery rhymes. Derry, derry, do, da, day. Play school kindy, sing them all the time. Singing derry, derry, do, da, day. Lovely. There was old King Cole, that merry old bloke. Derry, derry, do, da, day. He loved to drink and he loved to have a smoke. Derry, derry, do, da, day. Derry, do, derry, do, derry, do, derry, do. Derry, derry, do, da, day. 
<laughs> there was Jack and Jill and injured brains. Derry, derry, do da day. Humpty Dumpty shattered remains. Derry, derry, do da day. Derry do, derry do, derry do, derry do, derry derry do da day. London Bridge was falling down. Derry, derry, do da day. Lovely and rockabye baby was heading for the ground. Derry, derry, do da day. Just the men. Derry, do. Ladies, derry, do. Derry, do. Derry, derry, do da day. Oh wait, a knife attack on the three blind mice. Derry, derry, do da day. It got pretty dark and it wasn't very nice. Derry, derry, do da day. <laughs> I don't know. It was the nursery rhymes. There were. Uh, what were your parents thinking? Oh, well, this is the thing. Everyone was. I mean, Noni and John in play school were doing them, and Mrs. Diong in kindergarten at Lagano Public School. She was an accomplice. And uh, and then and then years later, I got in play school, and we were old King Coling our merry old souls. What about the Rockabye Baby one, where the baby is in the treetop, and then the cradle falls and smashes on the ground? And but you go you go to sleep now, little baby. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You're fine. Yeah. You sing it quietly as the child's lying in bed. Yeah. It's yeah. weird. I mean, they're, 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 <laughs> Damaged from those nursery rhymes. Yes. Yeah, of course. And then, and then, but you know, I just have to correct you because apparently Memfox was not banned. Memfox, it was just, and the mayor of Florida said she wasn't. So all's well. All's well. All's well for them. Only one school. All's well for them. Anyway, the so I the the stories that seem most benign are the ones that are most sort of like damaging. I think, Richard, I have trauma from many of the most sort of you know all those Disneyfied childhood stories they told over and over and over again. The poison seeping, the toxin (laughs) creeping, the Donna Bella of Cinderella. Body shaming, mother blaming, family wedging, sibling sledging, social climbing, princess priming, life just one long backstabbing, goody grabbing competition. And the pretty one, the, the petite one, the small feet one wins, wins everything and everyone. The prince, the palace, the fairy godmother, the hearts and minds of mice and men and, and little bluebirds of happiness. What a bitch it was for the one who was tall and bony and skinny and shapeless with buck teeth and big feet, glass slippers like see-through canoes, squeezing into two small shoes, always a blister, always the Stepsister. <laughs> Don't even mention Red Riding Hood and the cross-dressing wolf. <laughs> Damage. Jane Kitson. Damage. Jane Kitson. Apart oh. from that, she's feeling pretty good about most of the childhood literature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, isn't that the point? I mean, the point of all of those children's nursery rhymes and stuff, that was the whole point, wasn't it? It's was a warning that the world is a deep and terrible and scary place, and this was a slightly pleasant way to learn. The reason I felt America was valid in banning Mem Fox's book is because it went against the education we've been given up to that point. What was a witch doing in the bath? When the Wizard of Oz taught us that if you needed to melt a witch, you throw water on her. <laughs> exactly. And now there was a witch flaunting the fact that that might not work. How am I to get rid of witches? 
<laughs> it's a problem. Yeah. How can you burn a wet witch? <laughs> they just smolder. <laughs> like an old mattress. Embarrassing. <laughs> I'll tell you, in my mind, there's only one book in my mind that my parents made me read, and I think that it should be scrubbed, hopefully, from my eyeballs forever. Uh, it was a book that taught me about the birds and the bees. They refused to have the sexuality talk with me. They lent a book over to teach me all about it, oh. and the book was literally birds. It was chickens doing it doggy style. <laughs> <laughs> then my mom had the audacity one night over a roast chicken dinner <laughs> to ask me if I had any questions <laughs> about what I had read. All right. Any <laughs> questions? <laughs> I said, no, I think I understand it. <laughs> the next day, to make sure, she served me a three-egg omelet. <laughs> Unfertilized. It was so graphic. You just never knew the chickens were so, like, I mean, well, roosters, technically. The rooster was really well-equipped <laughs> in this particular book. That's the part that, well, literally sticks out in my mind. <laughs> that is the book I want banned. The rest of them I can work through. We, the Lothario rooster in the just oh, going rampant in the much. chicken hut. We yeah. didn't have that in Australia, <laughs> did we? I would have seen it. By the way. <laughs> you got any books about chickens, please, <laughs> Miss? <laughs> but I'm surprised because, given the way that America is breaking, uh, you know, sort of cracking down and making it very hard uh, to vote, it feels like they should avoid the old argument of book banning. It should, they should just make it hard to get a library card. <laughs> that would be the way to cut it out. Just, you know, just quit. Tennessee's defunded libraries. It, that's going to be the way it is. Don't, don't go after the book. Go after the source. <laughs> that's the key. Cut out the library and you take the book away naturally. <laughs> that's my lesson to you. <laughs> my friends. Yes. Well, that is... We stop celebrating writers in this fashion. They'll go away. <laughs> <laughs> it's all your fault, basically. Well, that is amazing from uh, Tommy Dean, which reminds me, Alex Lloyd is here. Yeah, he is. Wow. Hello. Selena Stephen is here, too, in the, uh, on the piano. Um, Alex, we wanted to talk to you about songwriting in particular, because this is a, a writer's festival, and I thought we needed to use an example of a song. So, you know, can we start with, with Amazing, which did amazing things for you around the world? Did, Tell me about, can you remember writing it? I think I started with a drum beat, uh, a loop. I just discovered samplers and uh, computers, and, and it was sort of early tech now. It's advanced so much. Uh, you can pretty much, you don't need the big studio anymore, but... I was lucky with that. We got, you know, went to London and, and uh, writing the song. It's, uh, I don't know, we used to give away the, uh, the meaning of songs because I think the beauty of it is that anyone can use it for whatever they want. And that song in particular, its ambiguity allows it, it gets used at funerals and weddings. So, you know, it's, it's Which a Which if you've got a particularly dodgy wedding or a particularly uplifting funeral, fits fine. <laughs> Well, I'm just saying they're very special or, uh, you know, uh, emotional parts yeah. of life. And, and um, it, 
that's the beauty of that song, and I guess I don't want to give that away. It's also one of those things where there's something about the way the melody combines with the words and the meaning that seems very uplifting. It seems to get you really quite deeply. That doesn't come from the drum beat. There must have been some moment that you discovered yeah. that melodic art. I know. Well, I would just sing. If I made a cool beat and a bass line and then I put some guitar on top and then I just start singing and then whatever came out, uh, and usually the best songs just came out within a couple of minutes, you know, like the, all the length of the song, the lyrics are just almost write themselves, um, uh, and the melody just flows. There's something really beautiful about, like, something that takes a very short amount of time being so special. Yeah. Do, you normally, do you normally write with your instrument in hand, or do, you no, or do you find you're composing in the shower or when you're walking along I, the I beach? I do it any... I'm not really... I don't need a guitar or an instrument to, to write, but I mean, I, I just try a lot of different things. I try to stay busy. You know, I mean, when I was younger, I'd always be very adamant about doing everything myself and, and really like a super control freak. And now I love collaboration, you know, like working with other people, getting new ideas and sharing. Selena, is he still a terrible control freak? Sorry? So I was asking Selena if you're still a terrible oh, control Saliana. freak. Saliana. Saliana, sorry. Saliana. Am I a control he, freak? Yes. No. He's master. She's no, a no, master no. musician. <laughs> <laughs> no, Al's not a control freak at all. I don't think we've ever had a rehearsal. I think. Oh, I think we had one rehearsal. We didn't actually finish all the songs. But um, yeah, everything um, has just you know. I, I have a natural affinity with his music, and we've had the. I've been so spoilt that we've been just the two of us playing so many shows, which is something that I haven't had a lot. Um, I've always had to spread myself between a lot of gigs, so I just feel so lucky that this is my main gig now with Al, yeah. his beautiful songs and his voice and the freedom that he gives me. He hasn't told me to do play anything once. <laughs> <laughs> it's, lovely, mean, it's lovely you're back on the, on the road again. Um, you're doing mostly your, your, your own material, of course, but I, I do notice everyone talks about you doing Hallelujah a lot. Yeah. So let, let's also talk about the writing of other people's songs. Why that song, which has been... Uh, obviously means a lot to a whole lot of musicians. Yeah, I just think it's, it's just perfect as a song. You know, it's just written so well. And, and again, you know, it has a lot of reference to different things, but it, it just, it means so many different things to whomever's singing it or how you sing mm -mm. it and how you perform it. I guess it's the same, you know, it's, 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 a, it, it's one of those momentous kind of songs, you know, that uh, for me, I just think it's just beautifully crafted. And maybe one of the magic of that song and, and of Amazing is that, you know, we've got a big audience here that every person will have their, when you're, you're about to perform it, but every person will have, it'll mean something slightly different to everyone. I think that's the beauty of music and songwriting. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be specific. It can it just be a beautiful feeling that you get when you hear it or um, a memory, even. Like, music and, and, and words take us back to time in our lives, you know, different times in our lives as well. Yeah. Alex is, uh, is on the live and amazing tour at the moment. He's performing at the Vanguard in Newtown on Sunday the 29th, the Brass Monkey in Cronulla, June 2 and 10, the Evoca Picture Theatre, June 11. There's much more information on his website, alexlloyd.com. But right now with the song that won Triple J's Hottest 100, won Alex a uh, Best Male Artist aria in, uh, in 2002, this is amazing. Damn. 
good thank was that? Much. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Fantastic. Saliana Seven on piano. Alex Lloyd, guitar and vocal. See him at the Vanguard, the Brass Monkey, a vocal picture theatre, and check out alexlloyd.com for other parts of his live and amazing tour. See if he's coming to you. Wasn't that fantastic? Hey, Richard, I, um, yes, I think it's interesting. It was fun. I love it when the musicians come on and you talk to them, and it was nice to always get that thing about you never know really what a song is about and so many different ways it can be interpreted. And I also know that you... Richard Glover, sometimes have difficulty expressing yourself emotionally. And I think it is very nice that you booked that song for us. Hmm. <laughs> well, I just wanted to... Well said. It's, a, it's my way of passing a note, really. Yeah, thank you. I'm saying, I'm saying we heard you. Yeah. 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 I, I just wanted to say, too, uh, just so I related sort of to what Alex was saying about songs and how it's different for everyone. It, that song is different for everyone who hears it. And my most successful song is Aussie Jingle Bells. And it's exactly the same <laughs> to every single person who hears it. So I don't know whether I... That's not entirely true, because I heard Aussie Jingle Bells before I knew what Aussie was. <laughs> No, you didn't. I did. I did. It, no, it, it crossed the it crossed the pond. It's an international hit. <laughs> I hear me saying different anyway. When when you say Rusty Holden news, all the Holden lovers cheer it on. All the Ford lovers say, "Why is he? What, they, why is it a Holden? Oh, yes, How many syllables in Ford? I say, go figure. Yeah. I mean, the Ford the Ford lovers hate that song. Yeah. I mean, the Ford lovers say the Ford lovers say you know why you know why uh, you know you've seen the Holden. It's got a lovely uh, heated window in the back. That's so your arms are warm when you push it. <laughs> you know, the, you're, you're just you're just throwing that in the face of them. It could have been Falcon Ute. Now I yeah. think about it. That's now got two syllables. It. Yeah. But you were getting getting paid the big bucks by, big by General bucks. Motors. Yeah. And look where it went. Look where it went. I uh, I recently Why? saw the the video. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're wondering if there's something wants to change your interpretation of that song, seek out the film clip of Aussie Jingle Bells, and you start to think that maybe you spent that money on some crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now, talking about crazy stuff, there's news this week that some Sydney bars are, being, are beginning to add a late-night surcharge to drinks served after... 10 p.m. How can that be? They charge you more as the night goes on. This is like a ridiculous. Like yeah. a, it's like an unhappy hour at the end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what if instead customers could whack a surcharge on the bar for things we don't like? In other words, what are the things at restaurants, cafes, and bars that we should get a discount for enduring? Jean Kitson. Well, for me, endure, it's the menus. Enduring annoying, irritating menus, the ones that go on and on and on. And, you know, like, we, we look, we understand that many adults may be tempted by the right turn of phrase. I mean, you can talk a seemingly mature person into trying deep-fried bull's testicles dipped in marinated barnacles. <laughs> I know I was. Um, <laughs> I've drawn the line at crumb tarantula's legs, but only until a menu comes up with another word for spider. <laughs> <laughs> but some menus, you know, they'll still try to seduce you with baby talk, you know, while, you know, and they're trying to tempt adults with these words like 
meaty and fishy and fleshy and cheesy and runny and dribbly, gooey, yummy and drizzle. <laughs> Either they're having a Farrax flashback or, they're, or they've got a baby at home, I don't know. But some menus, their principal interest seems to be food erotica. They write, whose they, description of a piece of like barramundi reads like Nabokov on ecstasy. <laughs> Who, you know, when reading the peaks and valleys of menus brimming with juices and dressings and essences and Cream would not feel the sap rising, would not lightly run their tongues over their lips. Who, when they run their eye over the soft focus keyhole, close-ups would not linger on the firm, fuzzy peaches languishing plumply on a sticky bed of honeyed wine and stuffed to overflowing with the creamy white zabaglione. <laughs> Who would not feel our appetites aroused, our mouths watering, our gastric juices beginning to flow? <laughs> Me, for one. <laughs> Especially if it's written in anything below a 16 font. <laughs> and I have to read it by the light of my phone. <laughs> That's when they need a surcharge. <laughs> surcharge for not having numbered meals like I grew up with. <laughs> in a photo. <laughs> Yes, I don't know. They should be penalised for... Yeah. Colin, Colin Buchanan, who are you going to penalise for all the things? If they're going to penalise us for wanting a drink after 10... Well, I, um, I got a little... Th I had a thought for a song, because um, uh, there's, there's a cafe attitude that I just find... Yeah, it just irks me. Uh, so there's a lot of anger up here on the uh, panel tonight, isn't it? Oh, uh... yes, we're seething. So this is sung... Yeah. That's better than drizzling. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Please, how about the way Nigella says plump? That, that gets us straight to 9.30. Even though all she's doing is making stuff in the kitchen. Um, all right. Uh, so this is from the point of view of... It uh, could be one of any number of uh, cafe guys or, or girls. So, uh, you're lucky we're serving you. You don't belong here. You know, you don't know what you're doing and that much is clear So you want a coffee, you say, a hit of caffeine Then you ask me for oat milk as if to blaspheme <laughs> Guatemalan or Kenyan, my question is fair a blend or a single from here or from there <laughs> your dimness appalls me and then you give a false name don't treat my cafe like it's some sort of game <laughs> fruity or floral is wasted on you i'll save my arabica robusta will do for I am a barista, the glory is mine. I worship the brew in the steam of this shrine. So get out of my cafe, step away from my beans. 
I think you belong down in Gloria G. <laughs> Thank God, Friday. Colin Buchanan, are we ready for the Wheel of Death literary edition, Tommy Dean? Uh, this doesn't seem fair. I do like the literary edition, but a lot of people don't know this about me. But uh, what we're about to do during this very special literary Wheel of Death is uh, these are many books that are featured in the Writers' Festival this year. Yeah, the, all the books are written by authors at this year's Sydney Writers' Festival. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review it. But I, 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 I don't know if you realize this. Uh, it's not fair. It's actually, this is the easiest Wheel of Death there is for me because I have read every book ever published. <laughs> So I'm generally aware. Uh, well, not entirely true. Uh, there is, of course, the Library of Alexandria. <laughs> Missed out on those. Uh, but lucky for me, opened up a bit of time for some other passions. <laughs> uh, but since then, I am up to speed. Like, just for example, just, uh, like, it's, a, as a, it's easy. The problem is it's easy to criticize literature. Just name a book, any book. Just not in the list. Just name a book. Okay, Geraldine Brooks's Whores. <laughs> <laughs> Interminable. <laughs> Next. It's well, let's easy. take one of the books from here, our audience. I'll do a full review, but I was just showing you how easy it is to be critical. <laughs> it's easy. I couldn't put it down. You know why? Because shite sticks. <laughs> Gene Kitson, could you um, select from the, uh, the Hat of Death one of the books? All these authors are featured at the Sydney Rise Festival. Tommy's going to do an instant review of one of these books based on the, you know, the reading he's done. So don't tell the author necessarily. Just, oh. just the title. Okay, March. March. March is the title. The name of the book that I have read recently is Much. <laughs> March. A book about many, many things. March, March. or the season March. or March. 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 Either is either the season or the book uh, is called Mock. It is about a speed <laughs> that we wanted to attain in an airplane. <laughs> Uh, what, I, what I am so excited about here at uh, the 2023 Sydney Writers' Festival is that all of the books have one-word titles. <laughs> it's innovative. No, it's, bec it's because the writers today realize that the kids today have a very limited attention span. Yeah. They just can't be bothered reading something about all the invariably inevitable lightness of being. There's too many words. What is this book about? I need to know now. It's about March. Excellent. Now, what's sneaky about March is that using the construct of days, March 1st, March 2nd, March 3rd, the author actually walks us through 300 years of civilization. <laughs> Chapter 1 is called March 1st. And it picks up the story at 100 B.C., and that's where the story begins. It's an intergenerational, epic, epic novel. Uh, it's about a fishmonger <laughs> who gets lost at sea. And then over uh, by you know, March 2nd, they, they got lost at sea for like years. Uh, there was a lot of um, babies born on the boat uh, because you know, he's not just a fishmonger. He's a lover. And then when eventually landfall was made, chapter 2, March 2nd, uh, that's when the kids sort of spread out. 
and they brought all their visions of the sea. Uh, that's very nice. Uh, what's very kind about it is it isn't just, it's not like, it's not direct. Uh, the other problem with kids today is they can't read linear novels. So while March 1 uh, takes place at 100 B.C., uh, March 2 then jumps ahead <laughs> to 2024. <laughs> Genius. And you sort of feel like you get the ending of how this family might work out. But then we go back to March 3rd, which is like in the 500 A.D. period. And then that gets a little confusing because they act, March, this is actually interesting. The third chapter, she writes in full Aramaic. <laughs> Just, it is a stunning literary achievement. <laughs> and really it picks up again. And it sort of bounces back and forth. But basically, through using the construct of a 30 or 31 day chapter process based on how many days are in March. <laughs> also, there's, a, there's an appendix. That's what confused me. <laughs> in which the author attempts to teach you Aramic. <laughs> that you can go back and read chapter three. Uh, it is overall just, it is a quintessential, uh, at the end of the day, really, it's, it's a YA novel meets an intergenerational epic, meets a how-to book on plumbing. <laughs> it is really just a, it, you can't put it down. You just can't put it down. <laughs> it's so, so very good. I recommend it highly. Uh, it's very good. Um, and then what's nice is, of course, uh, this is, uh, the third book in the series that the author has written. <laughs> Very good. Tommy Gang, does he die? I know. Does he live? He lives, he lives. Well I feel, before I say he lives, I should check with Geraldine Brooks, who won the Pulitzer for writing the novel March, who is here in our front row. Does he live? I didn't notice uh... Just to be fair, it wasn't as good as whores. <laughs> uh, still very good. Geraldine will be here with us after six, by the way, to talk about a new novel, which is actually called Horse, together with Jason Reynolds talking about uh, his novel, Miles Morales Suspended, and Fiona Kelly McGregor, her novel, Iris. They're all after six. When we have done with, thank God, it's right, Friday. They are all one-word titles, aren't they? Oh, yeah. 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 See? Yeah. Right. You thought he was We're joking. With you. Yeah. No, yeah. no. We were... Oh, to have doubted Tommy. You need one-word authors as well. <laughs> yeah. By Frank. <laughs> now, one of, one of the highlights of this year's festival is a session called The Dinner That Changed My Life. It's on tomorrow night with people like Sam Neill and Annabelle Crabb. So let's get in the mood. What was the meal that changed your life? Colin Buchanan. Uh, yeah, it was cauliflower cheese. Um, <laughs> honestly, when that came up when I was a kid, it was abysmal. It was just this steamed cauliflower, the piece of craft plastic cheese oh, on it. No. And one, one rasher of bacon across the top. Uh, it was, it ba yeah, yeah, one rasher. Bur burnt of by your father, right? I was watching, uh, I, now this is, I know it got, it got me thinking about this TV show that was on this week. I was watching along that survival TV. They were dropped in the wilderness, cold and hungry. They ate worms, they ate eels, they ate crickets and fleas. 
But they all drew the line at cauliflower cheese <laughs> and cooked They were desperate and starving and down on their knees, but they'd rather tap out than eat cauliflower cheese. They showed nakedness, trauma, and gross injuries. <laughs> But they blurred out the pixels on cauliflower cheese. Spoiler alert. It was Gina who won on that 68th day. The film crew arrived and all she could say was I loved being here on the lake with the trees. <laughs> so completely removed from all cauliflower cheese. If there's cauliflower cheese on the menu back home, I think I'll stay eating worms in the bush all alone. Cause no one wants to win half a million rupees. <laughs> if it means that you have to eat cauliflower cheese, and I showed great restraint by not rhyming feces. <laughs> Even though it's as tasteless as cauliflower cheese. Colin Buchanan, we are live from Parramatta Riverside Theatre. You are me. <laughs> <laughs> who were the winners and losers of this week? Tommy Dean, who were they? Uh, I'd like to speak just quickly, very quickly. The winner this week is uh, specifically twice me, Men's Health. Uh, I would just like to say to all the men out there, I had my very first colonoscopy on Wednesday, and I would just like to say, uh, it's the best selfie ever. <laughs> Did they uh, discover any uh, cauliflower cheese? There was much cauliflower cheese, but I would also like to point out that the favorite review of my work ever was, the bow preparation was excellent. <laughs> I was, literally, for the first time in my life, not full of... <laughs> the, the thing I hate about the colonoscopy were you awake or asleep when, when you're awake and the, and the doctor says whistle <laughs> that's not a colonoscopy I don't know whether it was a dating game or something but winners and, lo winners and losers Jane Kitson um, the winner is oh all the people who benefited from you know the Narendra Modi being in town, like all the people of Indian descent, and of course all the rest of us who saw pictures of Harris Park just around the corner here, and all those amazing Indian restaurants where we might go very shortly in about ten minutes. <laughs> And, and Modi named some of the businesses. He actually used the names of some of the businesses. Yeah. I miss that. What publicity is that? Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Well, that was, you can't buy publicity. Yeah, you're not getting in. They're full tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I only had two winners, and the winners is also Palliative Care Awareness Week. Woo! So we can all talk about death and dying and with fun, like Bob, Bob Hope, when he turned 100, his wife said to him, where do you want to be buried? And he said, surprise me. <laughs> we can make all those sort of jokes. And Voltaire on his deathbed, the priest came up to him and said, you know, do you renounce the devil and all his works? And Voltaire said, this is no time to be making new enemies. <laughs> Please thank Tommy Dean, Jim Kitson, and Colin Buchanan. Please thank, of course, Alex Lloyd with the music. Go and see him on tour. Thanks for being part of our special TJF from Parramatta Riverside next week. Gary Eck, Carolyn Swindell, Tommy Dean. Music, a tribute to the late, great Tina Turner from the cast of Tina Turner, the musical. In the meantime, I'm Richard Glover. And thank God 
It's Friday!